Welcome to episode 109 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, <laughs> if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. 
New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 109 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And Jen, normally I say, how are you today? But I just have to tell you, I've started reading a book that came out yesterday, two days ago. I don't know if you read it or started it. It's You're going to love it. What is it? It's Mercola's Keto Fast book. Oh, okay. Oh, oh my goodness. Jen, you're going to die. Well, good. What am I going to love about it? It's like the most pro-intermittent fasting thing ever. Well, good. Does he also want you to eat keto? Not necessarily. Sort of. Not necessarily. Basically, I've only read half of it right now, but he basically goes through the history of fasting, why basically everybody should be fasting, (laughs) all the benefits of eating in fasted states versus non-fasted states. And then he provides different types of it. So he talks about intermittent fasting, talks about his keto fast, which is a way to basically get the benefits of an extended fast while still eating, but you're still eating in an intermittent fasting pattern. You're not doing like fasting mimicking diet where you're eating all day. So it's still in line with intermittent fasting, like we talk about. And um, even in the beginning, he has this whole thing about how you should not do ketogenic diets long-term. And wow, like it's all about metabolic flexibility. It's just- Love it. Jen, like- Okay. I'm definitely going to read that one. You have got to read. Got to. Okay. (laughs) It's amazing. And I'm, like I said, I'm not even, I haven't even finished it. Oh, and sorry, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited by it. And he talks a lot about something that I think I've been experiencing and makes so much sense and have been researching. He talks about how people can experience really- like do harm to themselves with fasting because of detox problems and toxicity and toxins stored in fat and those being released. So it's like amazing. He talks about like sauna therapy and, uh, well, good. I, I've got to try to find time to read. Cause you know what I read now? Like all the time, what nothing but approving Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> One of my groups has gotten up to 91,000 members and we're growing like a thousand every two days. So we had to turn on post approval because it was just too much. You know, if, if, a, if a post comes along and causes problems and then it could go on and on. So we approve posts, but we don't approve everything. You know, it just depends. If someone is like, hey, PM me for weight loss tips, you know, we don't approve those. <laughs> Things like that, you know, shady posts, spam. We don't approve spam. That's probably a better way of putting it. In a group that large, though, it, it's hard to keep your handle on it. But I am now reading Facebook posts like eight hours a day and approving them. That's all I have time to do. It shows that your group is so, you know, large. It's a good problem to have, right? I'm I'm thrilled. I'm not complaining. This is not me complaining. This is me just saying, whoo, I'm busy. <laughs> I hear you. And it's, you know, it's, we don't decline a lot of posts. So don't don't feel like we're in there, you know, like censoring all the posts, you know, we're not doing that, but it just is a lot of work. I hear you. But we are keeping the spam out, which is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'll put that one at the top of my list as something to read. I do read when I'm blow drying my hair because there's literally nothing else you can do. So I will set my Kindle up. I have this little stand and I'll put my Kindle on the stand and I blow dry my hair and read. And then someday you're going to discover audiobooks. 
Well, I do listen to audiobooks in the car if I'm by myself, but no one in my family will listen to them, and I just don't have that long period of time to pay attention. That's my problem. Do you not clean the kitchen for like 30 minutes? I do, but I like music because I can't focus while, like, like when I'm cooking, for example, I can't listen to something and cook. I have to be thinking. So I listen to music because that's, that doesn't take me paying attention. Gotcha. Yeah. But driving, you know, I can do it while driving. That's really it. The only time I can listen if I'm going to pay attention is driving. Well, I will say Audible is not specifically sponsoring this episode, but we do have a promo code for Audible if anybody would like to get this Keto Fast book and they're not an Audible member right now. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because you can get that for free if, if you're not currently an Audible member. Great tip. So love that. Oh, I do have one other announcement. I should be hopefully submitting today. We shall see the final version of I recorded, if any listeners are familiar with Lyme disease, one of the foundational works on Lyme disease is by Stephen Buhner, and it's called Healing Lyme. Basically, it's like the Lyme disease Bible, because there's basically about three or four main resources that people really respect and look to for treating Lyme naturally. Well, naturally and with antibiotics, basically like protocols. And he's probably maybe the foundational author of such a work. And I'm recording his audiobook and it's, I've been recording it for months. I feel bad. I told him I was going to finish it in like January. I finished it. Oh, good. <laughs> I know that feels good. It's long. It's long. The book itself is like 500 pages. It should be on Audible. Speaking of Audible, it should be on Audible, ho- hopefully when this episode comes out. Well, yay. So... I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So again, if you're not an Audible member already, there's another book that you could get. Lots of reasons to be. Yep. Anything else new in your world? Well, we put our house on the market again. <laughs> it's We actually have two weeks before it's, the listing's going live, but uh, we really want to downsize. So I think we're going to, and we couldn't find anything we liked, which is one reason we took it off the market in the fall. And one son moved back home from college and the holidays were coming. But now son has moved back out and we are now once again thinking about the idea of downsizing. So I think we're going to build a smaller house on a smaller lot, but we have to sell our house first. Yep. We just went through that. So yeah. But, you know, we really, we, we just want to have a little less yard, a little less house. We're designing a house. We're going to... um work with an architect, I think, to help us get a, it's a small lot. So we're going to try to find just exactly what we want. But um, we've been looking at plans. And so I was like drawing on a, a plan and um, I drew in a little podcast room. Oh, nice. That'll be Perfect. just for me. Wow. That's, <laughs> a little tiny um, podcast room. That's really well, special. You know, it won't have cats running through it with lizards, which is always a plus. <laughs> are you going to like design I don't know, like special. Oh, are you going to make it soundproof? Oh my goodness. Are you going to make it a recording studio? Jen, make a recording studio. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Please do that. It's not going to be quite that fancy, but it'll be somewhere in between recording studio and room with a cat door that that cats run through with lizards. I don't know. Maybe you should do like a recording studio. Just, I don't know. Just saying. We'll see. 
That would be so cool. You could make it like so it has a separate entrance. So then you could have people come and record at your house. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And then you could could get like juve lights and like have it lit with juve lights. Okay. That is not what we are going to build. Okay. I'm going to design (laughs) your recording studio. That's really funny. No, it's just we found this house plan we like. And because this is a really small lot, we haven't bought it yet. We're waiting to negotiate that. But because it's a, a small lot, we have to have a certain footprint of the house. And so there was one little, it's like got dormers on the top and it was open to the foyer. And I'm like, ooh, if we just, instead of having it open to the foyer, if we just put another room right here, boom. So it's going to be a really small space, but I'm excited. We'll see. I mean, we're talking like a long time from now. I'll be coming to you from Lizard Room for a while. It's all good. Yeah. And in case people don't know what I'm talking about, I have a cat door and my cat runs through and brings stuff in. And on more than one occasion, she's come in while I was recording with a lizard or a salamander in her mouth. That's her favorite thing to do. She is not an intermittent faster. She's a, she's a carnivore. She is a full on carnivore. That's what cats are, right? (laughs) So anyway, that's what's up with me. Speaking of, I read the other day that the reason carnivores like cats sleep all the time is because of their high metabolism from their meat centric diet, which requires more energy to digest. Do you think that's true? I don't know. Say it again. Tell, tell me again. Explain it again. Because I research all the longevity studies and I'm always going back and forth about the concept of metabolism and aging and like how that relates <laughs> Because, you know, lower metabolisms are related to longer lifespans, but then more efficient metabolisms are related to better health and just right. all this stuff. So I was researching and I was I read something saying that carnivores, like natural obligate carnivores, like, you know, cats, lions, <laughs> the reason they like are sleeping all the time is because they're eating a high protein meat centric diet, which raises metabolism which raises their basal body temperature, which requires more sleeping to cool down their body body temperature and reduce their metabolism. Okay, maybe. That makes sense. I just, you know, I know that some people feel fabulous on a carnivore diet, and so I'm not saying not to do it if you feel fabulous. But, you know, we're, we're not, as a species, carnivores. We're omnivores, so. Yep. And again, that's not to say that someone couldn't feel fabulous on a carnivore diet and find that's the the right thing for the state their body is in. But anyway, me and my cat have different different diets. <laughs> I'm on a zero lizard diet. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. Let's get started. All right. To start things off, this is an appropriate question based on what we just discussed. We have a question from Colleen and the subject is resources. And Colleen says... Hi, ladies. Love your podcast. I'm new to the IF lifestyle. I started in March. First, let me say I love it. I started IF based on recommendations and a book I read called Brain Body Diet by Sarah Godfrey. Yay! Yeah. We actually, Colleen, I mean, she sent this recently. Yeah. And it sounds like she is just, it doesn't sound like she's heard that episode. We actually interviewed Dr. Gottfried about that book on our podcast. So I will put a link to that in the show notes, Colleen. You will definitely, definitely appreciate it. Colleen says a lot of good information about the science behind how what we eat and put in our bodies affects us as we age. 
Anyway, I've downloaded both of your books, but I'm curious, what resources did you use as you got started? What resources do you use now? I'd love to build a library of information for myself as I ramp up my IF lifestyle. All right, Jen. So what resources did you use when you got started and what do you use now? Well, that's a great question. And um, Colleen will notice as she, since she said she has our books, she has Delay, Don't Deny. I have an annotated bibliography in the back of Delay, Don't Deny that lists the books that I used when I was learning about intermittent fasting. And of course, keep in mind that I wrote my book in 2016. So all of my resources are resources that were out before 2016. So things like the Obesity Code, Dr. Burt Hearing's book, AC, The Power of Appetite Correction, those are my my top two recommended resources as far as books go. You know, with resources, we can use a lot of things that aren't books like apps, for example. I didn't use it at the beginning, but for a period of time when I was trying to figure out, was I going to do a up-down day pattern like an ADF or 5-2 or 4-3, or was I going to use time-restricted eating or a daily eating window approach? I used my son's app, Window, Intermittent Fasting Tracker, and so that really helped me cement the habit of intermittent fasting. There are lots of apps out there you can choose from. Of course, I'm partial to this one. Side note, that sweet little app designer son of mine graduates from college on Saturday. Yay. Georgia Tech, and he has kept his 4-0. I'm sorry I'm such a bragging mom, but I'm super proud of him. Anyway, um, he will already be graduated by the time this episode airs. But an app could help you. You know, any kind of app that works for you. Windows only available on iOS. Really, though, I can't think of any other resources just because, I mean, it's a pretty simple lifestyle. A clock. Clock's a good resource, right? watch the time. That's really it. Just, you know, keep it simple. You know, I do actually have a journal that I don't ever talk about on the podcast, but it's the Delay Don't Deny Life Journal. And life is written L-I-F-E with the I-F in a different color. I-F is for intermittent fasting. So if you search Delay Don't Deny on Amazon, you can find the life journal. And I put a whole bunch of different tools in there. And there are tools if you are like wanting to track things, like you can shade in the length of your eating window or the length of your fast. You can calculate your weekly average. You can set up goals that you would like to reach. And you can also write down non-scale victories. There's a food diary. So there's all sorts of different things in there. A lot of tools for intermittent fasters. And the people who have used it have found it to be very valuable. It's a six-month journal. So you can get it and plan to use it daily for six months and then try another one. Awesome. Awesome. It has journaling prompts, all sorts of things. Anyway. For me, so when I first started, honestly, my resource was a blog post I read online (laughs) about doing one meal a day that had all these comments. And then my wonderful resources after that were a lot of, you know, fringe message boards and forums. (laughs) Not going to lie, because nobody was really... Intermittent fasting was not really a thing because this was like a decade ago. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, not very well known. So it was really just all the crazy people in the internet land who were doing it and kind of talking about it. So that was my resources back then. Now it's mostly I'm just like reading all the books all the time. Like I said, like that keto fast book that I said at the beginning, that was really great. Basically books, which I put links to on, on ipodcast.com slash stuff we like podcasts. That's why I'm always bringing up all the podcasts I'm listening to, like different interviews. I find that different interviews with different researchers, even if they're not completely, you know, discussing even 
the exact version of intermittent fasting that I personally do, I I find their their information completely valuable and I don't discredit it. And I look forward to listening to everything they have to say with an open mind. So, I mean, somebody like Dr. Fung is, tends to be, you know, more in line with the way we talk about intermittent fasting with the exception of a few things. But then, you know, there's people like Walter Longo who has done a ton of fasting research. And I know he prescribes a an implementation of that, the fasting mimicking diet, which does look very different from the way we practice intermittent fasting, but I still find all of his information extremely valuable. People like Mercola with that keto fast book, Dr. Sotin Panda has done so much research on fasting. Of course, he's, you know, not, not a fan of late night eating, but that's okay. <laughs> so, um, basically yeah, podcasts. And that's why I try to always talk about them on this podcast. So listeners can, you know, listen to them as well and get, a broader view of information. We are a Himalaya partnered show. So Himalaya is a wonderful podcast network. They have an app that is amazing that provides access to every single podcast on the planet, including ours. (laughs) But um, if you get that app, you can create curated playlists and leave comments and things like that. So I've created a playlist called Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like. And in that playlist, I put all of the podcasts that I listen to that I find to be valuable resources. So definitely get the Himalaya app. Definitely follow us because um, you get the episode downloaded 24 hours in advance, our episodes. And then um, check out that playlist. And then one other source. This is just about what to eat in the eating window. But Jen was mentioning Cal and his window app. Cal also created for me my app Food Sense, which can help listeners. It's not about fasting, but um, tackling food sensitivities in your eating window. So I'll put a link to that as well. All right. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes, we have a question from Molly. And her subject is, is my body healing or telling me something is wrong? Molly says, hi, Jen and Melanie. As with everyone who submits questions, I love listening to the show. It's been very motivating and informative. I even listen to the episodes on 1.5 times speed so I can get all of the information as fast as possible. Can I say a really funny side note here, Melanie? I want to know if we sound like squirrels. No, but here's the funny side note. More than once in the Facebook groups, someone has made a post that says, why do you girls talk so fast? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm teaching you a lesson here because I'm a teacher. Did you know that you probably have it set to a high speed? And they're all that always is what it is. So anyway, if we sound like we're talking really, really quickly like chipmunks, it is a setting and you can fix that. But anyway, I've accidentally done that before too. And so I can understand being confused by it. But that's just a funny side note. So here we have someone who is doing that on purpose. So I'm mm-hmm. glad, Molly. I, want, I need to do that to see what we sound like. I'm curious. Oh, I bet we sound crazy. <laughs> we, I mean, we are crazy, but we probably sound super crazy. Yeah. But but every now and then someone will make that post about why do y'all talk so fast? And so anyway, yeah. So she says, my question is about this inflammatory response I've been getting the past three days when I break the fast. First, some background information. I have been doing IF for about four weeks and generally aim for 19.5. I definitely screwed up the extended Thanksgiving weekend and didn't fast last weekend either. So this is a a November question, by the way, that we're just now getting to. She says, I am doing IF to lose weight, about 15 to 20 pounds, and heal my hormone imbalances and brain fog. I currently try to eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, fats, and meats when I'm fasting. And I assume she means that she eats that in her eating window now that she's doing intermittent fasting. But also eat chocolate and fries and drink beer. 
I used to be keto and that helped me successfully lose 40 pounds and was very helpful for my ADHD. But then I took a break from the keto lifestyle and have had trouble getting back into the swing of things and am not eating keto now. So the past three days when I've broken the fast, I have noticed that my fingers and hands have gotten bright red, hot, and itchy. I could also feel something similar happening in my feet and knees. I have noticed something like this happening in the past at random times when I've had wine or kombucha way before IF, but I can't remember if it's been when I was keto or not. However, these past three days, I've broken the fast with vegetables, eggs, and liverwurst or grass-fed beef, which I have never noticed causing a reaction before, and I've eaten them a lot. In the past, I had attributed my inflammatory response to leaky gut or just something related to alcohol since it always happened after consuming wine or kombucha. I know kombucha generally has such a little amount, but that's all I could think of since I eat fermented vegetables and have never noticed anything like this. Also, I've noticed that I feel generally bloated these past few days. Today, my head was very foggy during the fast, too. I know both of you aren't medical doctors, but you've read so much about what happens in the body and have interacted and talked to so many people going through the ups and downs of intermittent fasting. So, do either of you have any idea what's happening? Is this inflammation just the result of eating after eating hasn't taken place for a while? Could it be a histamine intolerance? Don't really know what that would mean for me either. Is there a food intolerance or allergy? Is my body just dealing with some detoxification, things that will eventually pass? Is this what healing looks like? Or is my body telling me something terribly wrong? Ooh, that was a mouthful. All right. If either of you could touch on what might be happening, point me towards some research or books to read. That would be awesome. I'm having trouble problem solving my health problems and any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for everything. Keep it up. All right. That was a doozy. What you got? All right, Molly. So that is a fantastic question. And here are my thoughts. I'm glad you already gave the note that we're not doctors. (laughs) So I don't have to give that, but we are not doctors. Basically, here are my thoughts on this. I think just from what the research I've done, if you start feeling bad during your fast, not while you're eating, but during your fast, I think that's an indication of, you know, blood sugar swings or detoxing. That's in general where I think that would be coming from, especially if you're feeling worse, like longer into the fast. I feel like it's more detox related, whereas like earlier in the fast might be more, you know, blood sugar related, but that's not like a one size fits all. That's just my theory. If you're getting reactions once you start eating, I think that's probably an indication of a reaction to the food. I doubt, I'm not a doctor, but I doubt it's like a healing thing. If you're getting like a negative you know, reaction. Right. Clearly your body is reacting negatively. And I don't see a reason that that would be healing if you're taking in healing, I mean, healing or not healing food, but from taking in food. Does that make sense, Jen? Yes. So yeah, it could be a lot of things, which is why it's really difficult to pinpoint it. You said you do know that you probably have a problem with histamine. So, and you said, for example, that you've broken it with things, I mean, like liverwurst, that's going to be pretty high in histamine, but you vegetables, eggs, grass-fed beef. I mean, there's a lot of things you could be reacting to. That's one of the reasons I did create my food sense app because that, that includes histamines. It also includes a lot of other things you might be reacting to oxalates, thiols, amines, like all, all these different nightshades, a lot of different things. So you might want to check out that app. 
and look for trends, but, and you also said that you feel bloated. So you're reacting to something and no, it's not your body telling you something is terribly wrong. It's just your body telling you that what you're eating is probably not working for you and that you may have an intolerance to it or an allergy to it. As far as will it eventually pass? I don't know. It depends. It's possible that in the future you'll be able to, if you can figure out what food it is that's bothering you, that you'll be able to reintegrate it later down the road, depending on how your body changes. And we can't really know either way, but in any case, you can definitely find the foods that will work for you. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think you you really hit all the high points there. I agree with what you said. It does sound like like something that you're eating for the for the reasons that you gave. Here's something to know about intermittent fasting. You know, you talk about in your question, Molly, that you've, you know, not noticed this kind of reaction before, except when you had um, wine or kombucha. You might think, gosh, this is a new thing. I'm reacting to something I've never reacted to before. We actually find that when we do intermittent fasting, it helps us to point out foods that bothered us before, but we didn't maybe realize it that they were bothering us. And now you're like, boom, here it is. So, you know, that can be both a blessing and a curse because, you know, before you were just eating all the time and you were eating these foods and they didn't seem to bother you. And now it's like, gosh, now they are. So, you know, it's better to know when a food is not working for you and then you can eliminate it because when you didn't have the symptoms before, it was still probably causing some some things going on in your body that were not beneficial, but you just didn't realize it. So now that you are intermittent fasting, it helps you to figure it out. Yeah, so look at it as a as a real positive step for your body. You know, Melanie gave some examples of, of ways you could help to pinpoint that. There are also other elimination diets you can try, you know, start with a few things and then gradually introduce things one at a time, you know, as a challenge to see how your body reacts and hopefully you can pinpoint it. All right. Shall we jump to the next question? Yes. This question comes from Kim. Subject is tracking macros during eating windows. And Kim says... I love your podcast. I've been IF since June and I've lost 22 pounds. Should I be tracking calories and especially macros if I'm eating in a six to eight hour window? I love Cal's app. My window averages six hours. I do a clean fast. My weight has been pretty much the same since October or November with no real changes. It's a plateau, but I guess I'm thankful it didn't increase over the holidays. I work out five times a week with cardio twice and weight training three times. I've tried upping calories and changing macros. My question now. Do the calories and macros even matter if I'm in a six-hour window, typically four to 10? Thank you, Kim. Yeah, this is a great question because Melanie and I and lots of people, I mean, it's not just the two of us who say this, it's it's pretty much understood by people who understand how the, the human body works. You know, counting calories is not the best way of manipulating what's going on in your body. You know, we know that different foods are processed differently in the body. So, you know, a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. So just because something has 100 calories, for example, that doesn't mean your body is going to extract, you know, 100 calories worth of energy from that food. So there are many reasons why counting calories is flawed and why we don't recommend it. So when we say we don't recommend that you count calories because that's not an effective way of gauging what foods you're eating and how your body is going to use them, that can be misinterpreted by people to think that, you know, I, I hate to use the word calories even, but because we say don't count calories, does that mean calories, quote, don't count? You know, our bodies are not calorie calculators and, and we don't work in our bodies the same way an in-lab calorimeter works. That being said, 
the amount of food that you eat does matter. You can overeat. So even though calories in, calories out is flawed in the way that it works in the body, that does not mean that you could eat unlimited or too much food and then still lose weight. Now that is, I don't know what Kim is saying. I don't know how much food Kim is eating. And so Kim, I'm not saying that you are overeating. I don't know what you're eating, but you know, you said you've tried upping your calories. You've tried lowering your calories. You've tried changing your macros. So as to the point, do the calories and macros matter? Yes. Amount of food that you eat and what the food is made up of absolutely does matter to your body. It does matter. And so it sounds to me that what you're doing right now is your maintenance plan. You've discovered the way you're eating. This is the way your body's going to maintain the weight. So in order to lose the weight, I recommend doing something to shake it up. So what could you do? Well, you know, if you're stuck using a daily eating window approach because you tend to eat, you know, the same amounts every day and that tends to be maintenance for you. You could try an up day, down day type approach to intermittent fasting. I have a chapter on that and delay, don't deny. It's the up, down day chapter. You know, alternate daily fasting is when you do it every other day. The 5-2 program, the 4-3 program, those are just, you know, the number of days you would have what we call the down days. And so on those days, so let's say you were going to try 4-3 to shake it up a little bit. 4-3 is a up-down program where you would have four days a week where you are, quote, eating normally, and three days where you are doing what we call down days. So what's a down day? Well, there's two approaches. Initially, when the every other day diets or the alternate day fasting diets or 5-2 or 4-3 came out, it was recommended that you would eat 500 calories on those days. And people were just eating like the 500 calories all spread out. There was no clean fasting. It was just, you know, however you wanted to have them. And, you know, you could like have a little bit all day long. That would be fine. And those were very effective for weight loss. And I think that that really, instead of fasting, those 500 calorie days are more like calorie cycling because you're having the low calories day and then a normal day, that sort of thing. So you're, you're taking in lower calories. But the more we've learned about fasting, the more the thought is that if you're going to do that type of protocol, you should actually fast on the fasting days. And so does that mean you can't do the 500 calorie day anymore and you have to fast all the way through it? Well, you could choose to do it that way. There are plenty of people who find that that's the easiest way to do a 4-3 protocol. Three days where you do full fasts. So you wake up one morning, you don't eat it all that day, you go to bed, you wake up the next day, and then that next day is an up day and you can structure that however you want. With one caveat that you want to make sure you're eating enough, some people tend to think that on the the day after that longer fast, you could just do one meal a day again, and I wouldn't recommend that. If you're doing an up and down day pattern, the key is you really want the up day to be a true up day. So we recommend a window of at least six to eight hours. You don't even have to have a window. You can just eat how it feels right to you. Research shows that's a very effective pattern. Also, you might choose to have the 500-calorie day on the low day, the down day, but I would recommend doing the clean fast just like normal and then having all of those 500 calories in one meal and then start back to the fasting. So you're not doing a complete fast. It's not a complete you know, 42-hour fast or 36-hour fast. You're having that 500-calorie meal. And yes, that meal eating does break the fast. 
but you're still having a down day. And I have to believe that a down day like that, where you're still having all those hours of the clean fasting before and after, would give you more fasting benefits than when you were dividing it up all throughout the day, you know, eating little bits all, all day long. So the up-down day approach is great for people who are stuck and not seeing results on the, the eating window approach. If you want to take it one step further, <laughs> I know I talked so much about it at the beginning, but so Mercola's, one of his approaches, which is the keto fast approach that he you know recently created, it's, it's sort of like that. It's basically an up day, down day, but it's like with one or two of those down days per week, combining it with a certain types of food that he thinks will sustain in a way the fasted state, the, the health benefits of it. So if you wanted to, you could try, you know, just straight up ADF the way Jen talked about it and the way Dr. Veraday talks about it. Or you could also try, if you want to take it one step further, you could try Mercola's approach to it, which is basically that keto fast. Basically it has to do with, um, you're taking in very specific types of proteins that are not going to stimulate as much like the growth type state. It's actually a high protein, low fat, low carb meal on that down day. Typically he, he recommends things like, and he has a cookbook I think as well that you can get. And I haven't finished the book, so I'm not sure exactly what recipes he's going to recommend, but he mentions it's things like, um, you know, bone broth and collagen and then some um, certain plant-based proteins, things like that. So that's, I just want to jump in there while we're talking about that approach. Yeah. Well, this, this brings up a story from intermittent fasting stories. Those of you that listen to my other podcast, intermittent fasting stories comes out every Thursday. Recently on episode 26, I interviewed um, Amy Garrison, and she's a longtime Facebook group member, and she was doing the daily eating window approach, and she was finding that she was getting more and more restrictive and not losing weight. Like she was, her window got as, as short as one hour and she was not losing weight. And so, I mean, she was eating less and less food. And so that's a sign that you need to shake things up. So in her story, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, episode 26 of Intermittent Fasting Stories, she talks about how she started experimenting with some of these alternate daily fasting approaches. And then her body was like, thank you. And then she started losing weight. And so she finally saw weight loss success. So that's just something to keep in mind. If you're, if you're interested, listen to her story because it really is inspiring. You know, she still, even though she wasn't losing the weight with the daily eating window approach, she felt better and she knew this was her longtime answer and she trusted that she would figure it out. And so she did. And now she's having success and it, it's a really great story. You know, sometimes we think you just fast longer and harder and eat less and less and less that that's, you know, going to give you the results when really her body responded well to that every other day pattern. One day more restrictive than the other day, more relaxed. And one, one other thought I had about Kim, cause she says, do the calories and macros even matter if I'm in a six hour window? And I wanted to address that aspect really quickly because I think it completely depends by what you mean by even matter. So if you mean, do they even matter to lose weight? Then I think the answer is quite possibly yes. It, it could definitely matter. If the answer is health benefits, I think it's much more likely that they don't matter as much, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, macros, maybe depending on your 
personal insulin sensitivity and such. But I mean, either way, they, they could definitely possibly matter. But I, I think it matters what your goal is. Because if it's just health and sustaining vitality, we know that you get all these benefits from fasting. And so eating in that constricted window is really going to help that. But if you want to, you know, lose weight, especially if it's past the point that your body at this moment perceives as not wanting to go to for whatever reason, then they most likely definitely will matter. It reminds me of another study he talked about in that book, but he was saying one of the reasons I brought that up was he was talking about a study that showed that he was in mice or was it in people? I don't remember, but in any case, it was comparing the effects of time-restricted eating. Was it the study that shows that it didn't matter what they ate, that as long as they were in that time-restricted window, they lost weight? Was it that one? You know, I don't even remember if it was like one study or a few different studies. It was like a whole section where he was talking about it, but he was... Um, so you'll have to just get the book listeners and you can you can hear him talk about it. But basically, or you can read, sorry, because I'm always listening to it. But um, he was basically saying there were studies showing that if you're eating in time-restricted patterns, even if you weren't eating healthy, you could get health benefits from it compared to ironically eating healthfully all throughout the day sometimes didn't produce those health benefits. Not that it's, you know, better to eat unhealthy foods in an intermittent fasting window, but it was basically like you could really get so many health benefits, even with unhealthy choices in a window compared to, you know, eating healthily all the time. So yeah, it was really, really fascinating. Yeah. Eating too much food and eating too frequently is not good for our bodies, even when it's quote healthy choices. That's true. But I have one other thing. I'm not really sure because we don't know because Kim didn't say, and she doesn't say anything about her current weight, and she's been, you know, what she's calling a plateau. She lost 22 pounds, and she's now plateaued. I think sometimes we have an idea of what our bodies are, quote, supposed to look like versus what your body wants to weigh. And so it's possible. I mean, I don't know how much weight Kim needs to lose. If she's in a healthy BMI range now, then perhaps this is just her, you know, ideal weight. And you know, my body is not perfect. I'll be 50 years old this summer. I've had two babies. I was once obese. I've got, you know, some skin under my arms that's not perfect. I've, you know, I've got a little belly. The way I'm eating right now, I am not losing more weight. I'm not gaining weight. I'm not losing weight. I am maintaining my weight and I'm not having to count anything. You know, somebody might look at my body or someone living in my body might think, that my body is not good enough and that I need to lose, I don't know, 10 more pounds to be, you know, ideal. But that's not realistic for me. I could lose more weight, but I would have to really be more restrictive than feels right for my body. I mean, I don't know if that's true for Kim. Kim might be, you know, might have a lot of weight she needs to lose to get to a healthy weight range. So maybe, you know, switching it up is what she needs to do. But I'm at the point now in this body, I mean, I'm wearing small size clothes, but my body is not bikini model perfection. And I don't want to do what it would take to get there. That It would be really, really restrictive to do that. I could do it. I don't want to. I want to enjoy my life. I want to have wine. I want to have dessert. Side note, you can still have wine and lose weight. I'm not saying you should lose weight. I'm just saying. Well, wine, wine stalls me. I know that I just didn't want it to be a blanket statement that wine makes you gain weight just because of all the research. Wine does not help me lose weight. <laughs> if I if I wanted to lose more weight, I would have to give up wine. 
I, yeah, I get that. But anyway, that's my point. Sometimes we can be really unhappy. And I could, if I decided to really look at, gosh, you know, I've got cellulite and jiggly thighs and a jiggly belly. And I don't have that perfect hard body. I didn't look like that when I was 16 either. I didn't have, you know, I still had jiggly thighs when I was 118 pounds and at my smallest for 5'5". Five five. So that's just something to keep in mind. Sometimes we may think we need to be a certain way and and try really, really hard to get there. And that's not really what's appropriate for our body style. Does that make sense? No, completely. That was something I wanted to talk about. So you you nailed it. Good. I also wanted to say on the flip side, not to play devil's advocate, but some people do want to lose weight beyond what their body wants to be at that time. And I mean, if that's what your personal decision, I'm like, I'm okay with that too. I'm just saying, yeah, I get that too. So I just, yeah. I want to say like our body has an idea of what it wants to be at. And I, and I really encourage listeners to understand that and be, you know, encouraging and embrace that and know that, you know, that your body wants to be healthy and wants to be at a weight that it finds sustainable and nourishing and that can provide all the energy and the health that you need. So it's really a matter of aligning that with your personal goals, whatever they are aesthetically, where you are in your life. So it's it's really complicated and nuanced, but I, yeah, I love everything that you said. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make light of the fact that people want to, to look you know, a certain way and have a very fit body. I understand that. But realistically, to meet those goals, it it's it's might be difficult if your body has something else. Like for me, if I wanted to meet those goals, I would have to really, really live differently. And so it's a trade-off, you know. That's just something to keep in mind. I want to enjoy my life even with my jiggly thighs. (laughs) (laughs) So our next question is from Lisa. And the subject is prolon fasting mimicking diet. That's interesting. We were just talking about that. But that was a coincidence. It just fit in. All right. Okay, guys, I have a great question. What do you think about the Prolon Fasting Mimicking Diet? Thanks, and please continue your podcast. Intermittent fasting has resolved my lifelong weight issues. All right, so perfect timing, no pun intended. So the Fasting Mimicking Diet, like I mentioned earlier, it is a, quote, fasting approach developed by Dr. Walter Longo, who we've actually had on our podcast. So I'll put a link to that episode Dr. Walter Longo has done a ton of research on fasting and fasting mechanisms in the body and autophagy and health and everything. And he is growing more and more a advocate of the idea that more fasting is not always better, just from the research that he's done. And so he has developed this approach called the fasting mimicking diet, which basically from his research allows you to get the benefits of an extended fast as far as autophagy and cellular renewal goes and things like that while still eating. So his plan, it's like, it's very specific. You eat like around a thousand calories the first day, then it's less, I think around 800, maybe less the next few days. It's very specific macronutrients. It's very plant-based. He has, um, it's Prolon. Prolon is actually the supplement like version you can buy through a medical practitioner to do that. So what are our thoughts? Um, My thoughts are just, it's not intermittent fasting the way we often talk about it. I'm completely open to it though, especially for, you know, experiencing these long-term benefits that his research has shown you can get from it possibly. So I I see nothing wrong with it. I I see nothing wrong with trying it. Um, I think it could probably potentially help a lot of people with health conditions. 
may or may not work for you. It's not intermittent fasting like daily the way we would do it. It's not meant to be done daily. But yeah, I don't think listeners need to like panic if they see it and think, oh no, this isn't intermittent fasting and this is giving fasting a bad name. I don't see it that way. I see it as a different approach as a, you know, another biohack in the dietary world to get the benefits of extended fasting while maybe not actually fasting. Even Mercola in his book was talking about the dangers of extended fasting and how he used to think actual water fasting for extended periods of time was really helpful. And now he does not think that's healthy. Oh, I definitely need to read his book then. Yeah. He said he does not think, he said in the past, it was super healthy, but because of our modern environment and our, our food choices, the toxins, the pollutants, he does not think it's healthy to do extended water-based fast because our bodies you know, literally probably can't deal with that detoxification that we would get from a, a long fast. And then that would just possibly lead to redistribution of toxins within our body and doing more harm than good. So um, things like the prolon, the fasting mimicking diet might be a way to support the body create similar benefits to a longer fast while still supporting what the body needs nutrient-wise to deal with detoxification and potentially not crazily spike autophagy and things like that. Those are my thoughts, Jen. Yeah, I think that those are all interesting points. It's definitely not the same as intermittent fasting. It's it's a different approach. And, and again, like Melanie said, it is not something that you're supposed to do like long-term. It's it's a short program. It's a it's a short protocol. Because he says you do it, and then he advocates doing it. A f- I don't remember how many times a year was it. Even maybe once a month. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. It just depends on your goals, I guess. But here's what's so interesting. I've heard him talk about it a long time ago when he was first developing it. Before it was really even something people were talking about as much as they are now. I don't really know how far he was in the. I think it was before he had the packaged program, but. He was talking about why he developed it, and it had to do with the fact that he wanted people to have the benefits of the fasting, but didn't think people could do it or what, or like it was too much, too hard for bodies to do. And it's just so interesting to me because the way that my body is adapted to intermittent fasting, I think it would be so much harder to eat small amounts of food for the day. It sounds like it does not sound easier to me which is just what is so interesting. I guess if, you're, if you've never fasted before, it, it sounds easier. You're going to have this food that you're eating. That sounds easier than fasting. But to me, gosh, if I had to eat a little bit of food up to a, a 800 calories and eat it throughout the day, I would be so miserable. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. But then it's funny. I remember I was in LA. I was seeing a functional holistic health practitioner. And um, I was there getting some like therapy done. And I heard a patient in another room and the doctor was talking to them. It wasn't like the actual, they were, they were just talking. It's not like I was listening in on some private conversation, but um, he was saying that this person could benefit from fasting and that they could try an intermittent fasting type approach where they could, you know, eat all within a certain time window, or they could try the, maybe like the prolon type approach and they would eat these certain, you know, foods, in small amounts throughout the, so it was Walter Longos. And I was like, Oh, what's the person going to say? And, and the person was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do the, the prolon. Like it was like, it was like a, like a no doubt. This person was clearly not, you know, had not done fasting before. Right. And to them at that moment, that, that seemed much easier. Whereas for us, I think once you've done fasting, it it seems much easier for the flip side. Um, But even in the beginning for me, same, same as you, Jen. 
Yeah. So anyway, it, it's not it's not an actual fast because you're eating little bits, but it I'm sure it has benefits just because we also know that the whole practice of calorie restriction, they've studied in lots and lots of lab animals and just restricting the amount of food that that these animals eat is very, you know, pro-longevity. And in case listeners didn't know, that's what prolon stands for, pro-longevity. I so did not realize the point that. Of this, oh my goodness. Did you not no. know that? Oh. I should have said that, that I should have said, did you know, Melanie, what Prolon stood for? I should have asked you like that, but I didn't. Okay. I thought you knew. Now you know. Then I would have thought about it and I would have thought Prolon and then I would have thought, oh, Pro, I probably would have figured it out, but wow, did not realize. Kind of, kind of like the moment that you realize the target sign is a target. A bullseye. Or the moment that you realize the (laughs) Chick-fil-A sign is a chicken head. Yeah. the, The C. I feel like, you know, if you have like a health condition and your doctor doesn't think it's safe for you to fast, you know, like certain cancers, you know, that you shouldn't fast, whatever. I mean, that that sounded flippant. I don't mean like whatever, but you know what I mean. Certain health conditions, the fasting mimicking diet may be a better bet than than trying to do actual fasting. But yeah. that would be the kind of thing to talk to your doctor about. But for someone who is healthy and overall physically in good shape, I don't I don't mean like you're a marathon runner, but I mean, you know, you're you're a healthy person and your goal is weight loss. I would just do intermittent fasting. I mean, that's what I would do over fasting mimicking. And just speaking to that though, because this is something I did not appreciate until it happened to me. And that was before I had like the mercury toxicity and whatever problems went went along with that long fast, fasting longer was never a problem for me. The longer I went into a fast, the easier it was. I didn't experience like detoxification symptoms. I didn't feel like I was doing anything unhealthy. When I did build up that, when I did get that mercury toxicity and possibly other um, infections that went along with it, that's when I started feel like the longer I would go into fast, I would start feeling worse. And now I realize, oh, <laughs> There's something going on here. I can I can see now where people can do can experience really really negative reactions and fasting, and I can see how it is really really important to support detoxification. And I didn't appreciate that until it happened to me. So now I have a, I think a much more nuanced picture of everything. Yeah, I think that's important because I really didn't, and I I, I so miss those days when you know like the the longer you go into the fast, the the better I felt, and like I didn't really have any, you know negative ramifications, but now I have a much more nuanced picture and I definitely appreciate it more. So it's not something to be taken lightly for sure. We have one more question from Lauren. The subject is teeth whitening. Lauren says, hi there. I've been intermittent fasting for a total of two weeks now and love it. I've been drinking black coffee every day. Prior to IF, I only drank coffee occasionally. As a result, I've noticed my teeth really picking up the stains. I've used whitening gels and strips in the past and know they do the trick. However, my concern is would the, would they spike insulin and throw off my fasting if I use them outside of my fasting window? Thanks in advance. We haven't had this one before. Have you had this in the groups, Jen? The actual strips? Oh yeah. I've had this question. I mean, I literally think I can't imagine a question we haven't had by now. Oh yeah, we've had this question. <laughs> you hadn't had the saliva question. Okay, you're right. The thick saliva. That was a new one. All right, that's the only one. <laughs> Listeners. There's a game. See if you can submit a question Jen has never heard before. And if you can, maybe maybe we'll bring it on the podcast. 
<laughs> anyway, that's great. But yes, we've heard this before. And I put this in the category of just dental health and toothbrushing and mouthwash. And, you know, technically those things may cause you to have a rise in insulin, but they're brief and you go about your day. And as far as this goes, I know this is not as brief, the gel and the strips, but you're actually trying not to have it come in contact with with your tongue. Like you're actively trying to avoid getting it on your tongue. At least that's what you're supposed to do, right? Have you used these, Melanie? Yeah, I mean, they're going, try and keep them on your teeth, so, and not swallow So it. you know the, the feeling of like having it in your mouth and trying to keep it off your right. tongue. It's not easy. <laughs> so I have actually used these during the fast before because I like to, if I'm going to use them, I like to put them on before I get in the shower in the morning because otherwise I can't leave them on long enough because I, I have a hard time with it. <laughs> I don't like something in my mouth. So I put it on, get in the shower where I'm stuck with it, and then take them out when I'm, I'm done with my shower and then brush my teeth. Just like minty toothpaste or the wow drops or the peppermint essential oil, a minty taste does not seem to bother me. You know, the things that I use, you know, the toothpaste might have a little sweetener, but it's so brief. And these might have a little sweetener, but I'm not really getting them all over my tongue. I just have that hint of the mint feeling going on in my mouth. So for me, they have not been a problem. If you are concerned about it, I'm going to give you the advice I give to anything if you're not sure. Make sure you have been fasting clean for a while, you know, until you're adapted. That might be three weeks. It might be six weeks, whatever. You know what it feels like. You have the great energy during the fast. You know what a clean fast feels like. Try something at that point like these. If they are a problem for you, you will know because you will feel different. After having it, it'll make you feel shaky or ravenous. Or Now, a stomach growl is not the same thing. You know, my stomach growls throughout the day just randomly. And again, stomach growling is not a sign that you've broken the fast. It's just a mechanical action. So, But if you feel shaky or starving or like, oh, my gosh, I have to eat right now, that's a sign it didn't work for you. Those strips did not do that to me. What do you think, Melanie? I think you answered it beautifully. <laughs> well, good. All right. Do you have any final thoughts before we go today? I don't think so. All right. Not any. Well, this has been a good episode as usual. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners. um, If you'd like to submit your own question, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 109, so we'll put these show notes. So everything we talked about on this podcast, we talked about a lot. So all those books, the apps, my new healing line book, um, all the things. So definitely check that out. And also, like I said, you can follow us on Himalaya. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week, Jen. All right. I look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.